John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And good morning on this Tuesday as we get toward the middle of the week where we'll get through... uh, uh, the week six of the National Football League. And, of course, the big news is that Tua gets a starting job in Miami. Now, they're on a bye week, so that's not going to be till next week. But they made the decision to go to Tua. So it sounded as though that they were going to probably do it in that later bye week. But, of course, what ended up happening, they moved up uh, – the game from I think what week twelve to week seven, and so or the bye week to, to week seven, and so now Tua is going to be the starting quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes on the bench, uh, so that should be interesting to see how it does for the Dolphin team right now. That's three and three, and uh, you know got that big victory over San Francisco a week ago. Well, let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Yeah, I, I'd like to really hold off on that one, you know, until uh, we get through this week. Because this will be the first week he can really go. And uh, got a new number and all that. It looks good. You know, he looks felt. I'm excited just to get him out there and get him in the mix. Um, we really haven't had a, a great look. We'll have a good padded practice this week that will help. And, and, and uh, we'll see how he's doing. But um, I'm excited. He's a great guy, and I hope that he can help us out and get be part of it. So that's talking about Snacks Harrison. Uh Still kind of seeing how it's going to go for Jamal Adams. Got the groin injury. They're not going to rush it, but they'll see if he's going to come back this week, and they'll see if Snack Harrison, of course, <clears throat> they could use Snacks because now they're entering a different phase of the uh, of the season right now. <clears throat> when you look at the first phase, it was more challenge to the pass defense and the pass rush and all that. And now this one coming up is going to be a challenge in the next five games against the running teams. You know, because even though Arizona is a team with uh, Cliff Kingsbury and the air raid offense, you saw last night, last night that they, they can run the ball, and they try to run the ball. And they got two games in the next five weeks going against Arizona. They also have the challenge coming up of taking on San Francisco uh, coming up next week. And then after that, uh, they got Buffalo on the road, and then they got the Rams. And, of course, you know, you talk about the ultimate mental challenge and physical challenge. I mean, the mental challenge is trying to stop the speed that you have with Kyler Murray, and you also have the issues right now uh, in trying to stop the creative nature of the running games of the Rams and Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Now, of course, one thing that's going to help out is in the standpoint that the 49ers are so banged up, and it looks like that's not going to get – it'll get maybe a little better, but not totally better in the sense that you've got the uh, problems that they have at uh, Raheem Moster is now going to miss and go on the injured reserve list. So that's not good for the 49ers, but it's good for Seattle. <clears throat> so – B. Carroll also said that uh, gave an update on Rasheem Green and Philip Dorsett. They may have a chance to maybe come off injured reserve in the next week or two. Then you've got uh, Kobe Parkinson and D.J. Reed starting to practice for the first time. Uh, Reed's going to be an interesting guy to watch because uh, they picked him up from San Francisco on the waiver claim, and they like him because he's got return ability. He's got the flexibility of playing cornerback, and he also can play safety. They really like him, and they think that he can be able to help this team out, particularly as time goes on. So he can be available, and of course the idea was he would have been available in October, and it's now October. Pete also wouldn't really say what's going on with uh, Daryl Taylor and Rashad Penny, uh, but they said that he's said that they are getting closer to getting on the practice field and of course technically they can't 
do much uh, <clears throat> as far as coming off the list because that's going to be coming up next week because they have to have six, six games and this is the six games. Uh, we'll discuss uh, you know Pete's updates and everything else with Jake Heaps. That's going to be coming up at 10.30. Number two. Here's first and ten. Kyler Murray, a deep shot, got a man and it's caught. Christian Kirk. How about 80 yards to the house just like that? Speaking of bullet, Bob Hayes. Touchdown, Cardinals. What a beatdown that was, and how bad are the Cowboys? I mean, you saw them a couple weeks ago and how bad the defense is. Well, it's <clears throat> getting even worse right now. Cowboys end up losing 38-10 to on Monday Night Football to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, what was explosive about the Arizona Cardinals was their running game because it, uh, all good type of things with Kyler Murray just outrunning the Cowboys' defense. And, of course, uh, really didn't do much in the passing game. But, nevertheless, it was pretty good. Big game for Buda Baker. I mean, Buda Baker, you know, kind of looking like Jamal Adams out there. Had seven tackles, a sack, an interception. He looked good. Byron Murphy from the University of Washington had eight tackles and a fumble recovery. It was a big day, and of course, what you're also looking at is Ezekiel Elliott had a horrible game. I mean, he gained over 90 yards, but he also had the problems of fumbles, two fumbles, and he's been fumbling way too much this year. So the Cowboys lose another game, and Arizona's now sitting at four and two in real good shape. Uh, now the Cowboys have to play two straight games against NFC East teams. That's Washington and Philadelphia. Both are road games, but they should be able to make up some ground. But boy, what a bad division the NFC East is. You know, the Cowboys, I think, can win the division, but only have six wins. But it's looking real bad right now for Dallas and the NFC East, but good right now for the Arizona Cardinals. Number three. Forward on fourth down and get the touchdown. Darrell Williams and Andy Reid is mad no more. The Kansas City ground game. Not the typical aerial assault you expect from Reed, Bienemy, and Mahomes. 213 rush yards for the Chiefs, and now a rushing touchdown for Darrell Williams. Well, I tell you what, uh, Chiefs, it wasn't really, it was funny because they didn't look great, but they were just good enough to beat Buffalo 26-17, to and that's the unusual thing because here's Andy Reid, normally a guy that doesn't like to run the ball as much. He's running the ball more than he's ever done before, and of course, uh, you can see that uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is really good at running the football. Again, that's considered to be the best back that uh, he's had in his system, and remember, that's with Shady McCoy, that's also with Byron, Brian Westbrook. I mean, really looking good. And now it looks like the Bills starting to fall back to earth. But part of that's the fact that they played uh, two really good teams in Tennessee, undefeated, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes continues just to be marveling his ability to just concentrate, get the uh, plays downfield. And now next week they'll be able to get Le'Veon Bell on the field to see what he's going to do. Buffalo has a chance now to get back to five wins. They were at four and two right now. They play the Jets coming up. The Chiefs, meanwhile, are going to travel to Denver and take on the Denver Broncos and they'll have a chance to get the 6-1. and one. Number four. I mean, obviously the World Series is a special thing. I think maybe the question is, does it compare regular season to a, a normal season and things like that? And I think the answer is yes. You know, just from what we've been going through in the postseason, you know, the postseason's been, you know, in some aspects a little bit harder with the extra round and things like that. It's been a little bit more of a crapshoot with, um, you know, 16 teams making the postseason. This tournament that was started in October was, was really... Um, it's been a tough go, you know, facing different teams and in different bubbles and different things like that. So to be able to win a World Series after all this would be uh, 
just as special as any other one for sure. So that's Clayton Kershaw talking about the World Series, which is going to open tonight. The Dodgers in there for the third time in um, with four years. Kershaw, of course, has had his struggles, but they're count. He's going to pitch tonight. <clears throat> Tampa Bay is going to go with right-hander Tyler Glasgow in four World Series games. Kershaw's one and two with a 5.40 earned run average. Also, there's not going to be any problem. It looks like with Cody Bellinger, uh, he did re-injure that right shoulder when it popped out when he celebrated to go-ahead home run. But it looks like he's still going to be able to battle. The first pitch today is going to be at 5:10, and you'll hear every game and a World Series coming up, and you'll hear it on 7:10 ESPN Seattle. Number five. The Titans were informed that the investigation by the NFL and the NFLPA is wrapped up. It appears there's not going to be any landmark discipline on this matter. In other words, no suspension of any front office personnel or coaching. They did find the mask wearing. They had gotten a little bit loose with that. They find the building in compliance now. I think the big focus in that investigation near the end was the off-site workouts by players and were they team-directed. And they just basically determined that there was just not sufficient communication. So if they're facing discipline, it's more expected in terms of a fine as opposed to loss of draft picks or anybody being suspended. Yeah, so the uh, NFL is going to at least announce this reasonably soon now that they concluded the investigation. And I guess the big thing is they didn't communicate well enough to the players to know that they should not gather. Although, again, the players should have known that. But, of course, that's never the case. But it looks like no... Uh, it'll be a big fine of some nature, and then they'll also come back and not take away draft choices. None of the players are going to be fine, but the Tennessee Titans, with all the COVID problems they have, is all set now to find out uh, reasonably soon what's going to be the penalty. But it looks like, hey, they're not going to lose draft choices, so I think the front office is happy about that. And naturally, the owner's not going to be happy about paying the fine. We'll see if the coaches and the front office gets fined too, but that seems to be pretty much what's heading right now. So the penalty's coming. Coming for the Titans. Hey, you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we'll talk about, uh, on further review, uh, what's going on with Kyler Murray and your thoughts on what we saw of him last night and what we've seen of him so far in his first 22 games. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. So we go under further review, and of course, uh, last night, able to see. Uh, and not a, I guess you can't say it was an interesting game. It was a bad football game overall, uh, mainly because of the fact that the Cowboys are so bad on defense. And what we saw was Kyler Murray, who ironically is really struggling right now, getting some consistent throwing. I mean, he was 9 for 24, 188 yards and two touchdowns. He did have an 80-yard touchdown pass uh, to uh, Christian Kirk, but uh, only was able to get uh, three passes to Larry Fitzgerald for 22 yards and only two completions to DeAndre Hopkins but what they ended up doing is just taking the simple tact of running the football and that's where Kyler's really good Kyler had 10 carries for 74 yards and I know that uh, Kenyon Drake had 164 yards on 20 carries and so you can see that the 261 total yards kind of summed up where that team was going to go and just basically get in there and have a nice fast game win the football game get the four and two and just beat a bad Dallas Cowboy team game time by the way was three hours and six minutes with that running affair but you know Kyler Murray's you know you, you you can see that he's a good one even though right now he's not throwing the ball 
all as consistently well as you'd like, as accurate as you as you'd like. But I know that uh, this is a really good quarterback, and he's got this team at four and two. So, uh, what did we learn about Kyler Murray last night? Brock Hewitt was on with Danny and Gallant, and he explains. I'm looking at Kyler Murray play. He can run like Lamar, not as big. He can make any throw on the football field. I said he is the most physically talented quarterback in this NFL. Do you agree or disagree? No, no. No, he is a squatty little body that is hyper, hyper quick. And I'll tell you, Bump, I actually texted a couple of my Arizona Cardinals friends because I've watched Kyler a bunch this year. And I've been really disappointed at how he's let his mechanics go. Long, long delivery. I mean, there's times that it looks like longer than Randall Cunningham back in the day, and it's led to him being very inaccurate. I mean, he missed six, seven throws last night. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not not close. And, you know, Russell has had to fight this, and that's why he's hired a guru by the name of Jake Heaps to keep him on point, attention to detail, work the fundamentals. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, the, the best of the best over time understand how important important those fundamentals are and Kyler has just been loosey-goosey in a long delivery so I don't think he's got anywhere near the arm strength either of a, of a Patrick Mahomes of a Josh Allen of a Russell Wilson of an Aaron Rodgers and it takes him a long time to lock and load and wind that thing up so I, I would give you like just hyper quick into your eye I know what you're saying bump you watch him to your eye and you're like gosh I mean you lose contained for a second He's as quick as any running back in this league. I mean, he is lightning. He's, qu- I, th- I think he's quicker than Lamar. I don't know if he's yeah. faster in, in say a forty or a fifty or something like that. But in a in a twenty, there's not a there's not a quicker quarterback. And I don't know if we've seen many, frankly, ever that are quicker than Kyla Murray. But as far as overall physical gifts, um, short, squatty body, hard time seeing. It's going to throw a bunch of picks in his career. And I, for one, just don't like that windup. He has got to tighten that release up a whole bunch for me, Bob. Yeah, it looks like uh, you know some coaching has to be done with him and some individual coaching. <clears throat> That's something that you know Russell Wilson has always been able to take care of because he's done so many things through the years to continue to try to make better. And he's so good at doing it. And that's maybe something that Kyler Murray's doing. But say what you want. I mean, it is working for the Cardinals. Now, again, it's not like they've had the toughest schedule in the world. That hasn't been the case. But you can see that, uh, you know, this is this is still a very talented quarterback. And he's living up to the idea that he was the number one pick in last year's draft. And so, uh, you know, I still I, I, what's interesting is, I guess, the comparison between him and Lamar Jackson, because you notice that, you know, Lamar was, of course, a runner. He got becoming a better pocket passer last year and now this year he's reverted back a little bit mainly because of the fact that uh, you know they're not running the ball as well Marshall Yanda's uh, retirement did affect the offensive line and at different times that knee injury from a week ago held him back from doing some good things but overall I mean what you see at Kyler Murray is that the the running part of it is sensational he's really good at that so quick as uh, Brock Hewitt says but also it's something that, uh, you know, you have to see he's got to be a little more consistent in his ability to complete passes and throw the football. And so I don't know, Curtis Rogers, when you look at Kyler Murray, I still think that, uh, you know, he's one of the rising good quarterbacks in the National Football League. I agree. I think he is a, a rising talent in the NFL, John. But for the Seahawks to win on Sunday, the formula, I think, was right in front of them last night, or especially early on. 
in that Kyler Murray was missing deep. He was missing mm-hmm. long with a lot of his throws. At one point, I think he was 3 of 12 to start the game, and most of those incompletions were on overthrows. And this is a Seahawks defense that I think is a little more advantageous than they were uh, over the last couple of seasons, sort of in that transitional time between the Legion of Boom and, and what they are now. Maybe they still are considered in a transitional time, but... I look at what Murray was doing early on in that game, and obviously Dallas's defense, you can get away with Oof. overthrowing it. You can get away with making mistakes offensively because they're not going to make you pay at all. They're not going to make sure that uh, you pay for overthrowing so much. Whereas the Seahawks defense, especially if Jamal Adams is out there, uh, especially if they're able to get pressure on Kyler Murray in the pocket, I think Seattle's defense is a lot more advantageous than than what we saw last night with Dallas, where they gave up. They still managed to give up 38 points, even though Kyler Murray at the end of the night was nine of 24. Uh, throwing the ball. So uh, I look at what Murray did last night, and uh, it, the formula is there, John, for Seattle to take advantage of what, they, of what they're of what they going to go up against. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's the one thing that uh, is going to be what the Seahawks may have an advantage on because, you know, much like Russell Wilson, I mean, you've got uh, Kyler Murray running around trying to make plays, and, you know, with that elongated release of his, you know, that can become a problem. But also, uh, one thing that has improved to a certain degree is sacks. I mean, last year, much like Russell Wilson, you you anticipate that Murray's going to get sacked three times a game. He had 48 sacks last year, but now this year, he's only getting uh, one and a half sacks a game for whatever reason, and it's not because they have a great offensive line. That's not the case, but uh, maybe it's because they're not uh, really throwing the ball. Well, they throw the ball a lot. I mean, he's had a 37-throw uh, game, and, you know, he's, in fact, this was the last night just because they ran the ball so well, they only had to throw it 24 times, and, uh, you know, they had uh, the success of 188 yards, but only nine completions. But really, in his first uh, several games, I mean, he was throwing 40, 38, 35, 31, 37 times as far as attempts. And, you know, the uh, but he, the inconsistency, like, for example, in the first game against San Francisco, only 5.75 yards an attempt. Then, of course, you look at the Carolina game, 4.29 yards an attempt. So it's like, the deep ball, even though he's got DeAndre Hopkins, there's it's just not as consistent teaming up with guys. Agreed. And you look at his numbers just as a whole on the season, he's already thrown six interceptions this season yeah. in six games. So he's not done a, a tremendous job, I guess, of limiting turnovers. Last year he only had 12 interceptions, so he's halfway to his total in less than half of the games that he played a year ago in, in 2019. Uh, obviously running the ball. Kyler Murray has been incredible this season. In fact, I believe he is on pace for about 1,000 yards rushing this year. He's got 370, six touchdowns, averaging 7.3 yards a carry, no fumbles, no lost fumbles, nothing of that sort on the ground. I mean, he is a dynamic playmaker with his legs, and that is something that the Seahawks really haven't faced this season as a quarterback that is a scrambler. You know, they Matt Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, Dak Prescott, not to the degree that Kyler Murray is, 
Uh, John, do you think Murray's legs present a challenge for the Seahawks on Sunday? Oh, absolutely. Because again, and that's why it really would help if Jamal Adams is out there because, you know, he can chase guys down and, you know, put the pressure on because with Kyler Murray, again, you know, whether it's going to be, uh, RPOs or anything like that and outside runs, I mean, you know, you want that ability to chase things down and that's going to be the difficult part. That's why, you know, you're right about that. And you saw the problems that they had last year. I mean, you know, the problems with Lamar Jackson and uh, the problems with, you know, mobile quarterbacks. I mean, even in the opener, you wouldn't want to consider Andy Dalton a mobile quarterback, but, you know, he was able to move around and get yards. And so that's going to be something that is going to be a challenge. But again, it's like, that's what they, they can do. And of course, if they can win the game in Arizona, that'll make it that much better when they come back and take Arizona on five weeks from now in Seattle. And so, you know, this is a critical five game stretch in the season. And again, you know, it's like the Cardinals come in four and two for this game, but uh, you know, the inconsistencies there with Kyler Murray. Hey, by the way, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we'll chat with Jake Heaps, talk about the bye week and what's coming out of the bye week and what to expect from the Seahawks, and also talk about the defense. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Jake Heaps. And Jake, we, we've talked so much about the offense. And now, and it's interesting the way this season's breaking down because now we look at the defense. But what's interesting is that, you know, the first phase of the season, you know, they did face, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. They did face Todd Gurley. And, uh, but also some real good quarterbacks but now this phase coming up after the bye week they're going to face running teams i mean you can consider arizona a running team they're averaging 161 yards a game rushing you know how good the schemes are both for the rams and also the 49ers with their running games so i guess this phase right now where it started you know with the criticism of the pass defense now it's a matter can this run defense perform well Correct. And and as you mentioned that, it is an absolute commitment to the run game. Uh, and that's really where it's going to be uh, won and lost here in the NFC West. And, and for Seattle, uh, that's why they've been uh, so uh, adamant about needing to maintain uh, a run game and needing to uh, make sure that this offense doesn't go one way or the other and remaining balanced, even while Russell Wilson has been playing at an unbelievable level, has been throwing five touchdowns, has been throwing for, you know, over 300 yards on average. You know, they've, they've still, Brian Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll have still been, you know, reminding us that, hey, we're going to need this run game, and it's for a reason. And I think that you look at the physicality and the nature of, of, of that division, it's still going to be needed. And you look at it from a defensive perspective, John, um, you don't love what you – saw from the defense uh, against the Minnesota Vikings, but hopefully we'll see what happens with Jamal Adams. I didn't love what I heard from Pete Carroll yesterday in regards to talking about Jamal Adams and his health and his timeline for coming back, and, and hopefully uh, Jamal has a great week of uh, recovery. But, uh, you know, this is why you made the moves in the offseason that you made. This is why you drafted Jordan Brooks, why you signed Snacks Harrison, why you – uh, trade for Jamal Adams is because you have guys that on this defense that are a physical, but b um, 
in Jamal Adams, Jordan Brooks, and, and the rest of the group that can really run sideline to sideline. Um, so th- this is going to be a great test uh, to really the, the group that Pete Carroll and John Snyder put together defensively in the offseason. Yeah, and of course, I mean, when you look at, and it's interesting because, again, there's such varied running schemes. I don't know, breaking it down, how would you describe the Arizona Cardinals running scheme You know, from what really is a, uh, not a run and shoot, but a, uh, you know, uh, an air raid type of uh, offense? Yeah, this is really what Cliff Kingsbury, I think this is when they, the Cardinals really started finding their groove and finding success is early on. Last year, he was full committed to being an air raid guy. And what he realized when they acquired, you know, Kenyon Drake and, uh, and having the NFL background is, hey, I need to dial this back a little bit and we need to have a physical run presence in order to save Kyler Murray and er- in order to keep him healthy, in order to uh, make him as effective as possible. We need to add this running game element. And they, they were effective in that the second half of the season last year, and they've been effective in doing so this year as well. And you know, part of the equation for Kenyon Drake is trying to find ways to get him on zone stretch schemes, outside zone schemes, uh, and, and letting him be a, a fast, dynamic uh, decision maker on the edge. He does such a great job of, of being decisive, one cut and, and go and get up field and use his, his explosive speed. Uh, to really be an effective runner, but they really are an outside zone scheme. And really what's been able to help them get to that, uh, that rushing yard total per game, John, is Kyler Murray. His ability to uh, extend plays and use his legs, uh, it really reminds you of a younger Russell Wilson, you know, from 2012 to 2014 in the way that he just continued to, to keep defenses off balance, uh, and, and continue to rack up the rushing yards. And not only in designed run schemes, but more so in in you know drop back passes turned into scrambles, uh, and, and you saw that quite a bit uh, versus the Dallas Cowboys last night. Yeah, no doubt, and of course that's going to be uh, the big challenge. And I don't know, I mean, if he's going to be at least ready this week, uh, can a Snacks Harrison help out as far as because he's a real good guy as far as the inside. And of course, if they can get Jamal out there, he can start chasing down some of those outside runs. But how do you think this defense can match up if Snacks comes out there and joins Puna Ford and also Jaron Reed? Well, I just think it makes that interior of that defensive line so much better. And even if Snacks Harrison isn't, you know, his all pro dominant version, which I don't think anybody is necessarily expecting, but if he can, if he can have the same production that he had in Detroit, if not a little better, uh, it's going to upgrade this group tremendously because you have uh, a legitimate front line, uh, one technique who not only is very effective against the run, uh, but he is a guy who is a true uh, two-gap guy where he is going to effectively take up two offensive linemen uh, in every run scheme. I mean, you got to, you have to account for him, and, and it's not easy to double-team that guy and, and be able to pass off and get to the linebacker at the second level. So it's just going ma- it's, it's to make their rotation better between Puna Ford and Jaron Reed and Snacks, and it's also going to help Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright and Jordan Brooks or whoever's playing linebacker uh, be able to, you know, run and fill the gaps and be able to, you know, make stops at the line of scrimmage, if not tackles for loss. So overall, that tremendously helps. And Jamal Adams, with his speed and his ability 
to make plays, he really helps in those uh, you know zone outside zone schemes and also the fly sweeps, which has been something that traditionally has hurt this defense. You know, over the last couple over the last couple seasons, and I think that that's uh, those are you know some key reasons as to why they made those additions. How do you look at the uh, passing game that you saw last night from the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray? You know, John, I, I've really watched this group pretty closely just because I've been curious about them. Uh, obviously, you know, they were kind of the darling pickums in, in in you know the the off season that, Hey, the Arizona Cardinals, they could be the dark horse this year. Um, and, and so when I've watched this offense and particularly Kyle, Kyler Murray in the passing game, it's really been inconsistent to be honest with you, John, it's been feast or famine. And you saw that a couple of times uh, versus the Dallas Cowboys early on uh, in the game where you just see Kyler miss, missing some open guys, or you see uh, the wrong route adjustments uh, being made out there at the receiver position. Uh, so when you talk about this matchup uh, for the Seahawks, it's really the, it is imperative, John, that that the Seahawks really start fast. That they have what they've done all season long, which is start fast, uh, be able to uh, get an early lead, be able to establish the game. Because if you remember what happened last year, uh, the second game of the season. Uh, the second time that the Seahawks played Arizona, Arizona was confident and they were feeling themselves. They were they were getting more and more energized as the game went on, and I think that that's that's the mark of a young team, a team that's still trying to find their way, and a talented football team. So if if the Seahawks and Russell Wilson and this group can you know jump out to a, a commanding lead uh, and control the game early it really puts them in the best position possible. Yeah. What did you notice as far as the defense without uh, the, the Chandler Jones? Because Chandler Jones, since 2016, has had more sacks than anybody in football. Uh, they were able to you know, certainly put the uh, whipping on Dallas last night and uh, really force 54 throws by Andy Dalton. So what did you see as far as how their defense is adapting without Chandler Jones? Yeah, you know, it's always a tough task when you lose an all-pro sack artist like Chandler Jones, who's a tremendous football player. But obviously they've they've remained active. Vance Joseph has done a great job with this group, uh, dramatically improving in in every defensive uh, statistic uh, from 2019 to 2020. Uh, You know, one of the things that they, they have been able to do is they've been able to find guys outside of Chandler Jones that have just played with extremely high motors. So they are running around, flying around, and, and, and Vance Joseph loves you know, these exotic blitz pressure schemes and looks at the line of scrimmage to create confusion to the offensive line and to the quarterback, and they've been pretty successful in doing so. And obviously, Buda Baker you know, blitzing as a safety, very similar to Jamal Adams, has been very effective this season and can cause a lot of disruptive disruption. So that's really where they've been able to uh, – try to replace the production of of Chandler Jones. You're not going to do that fully, but they've been able to do that through manufactured pressure, and it's been really impressive to watch them. But, John, someone asked me last night, you know, what was my opinion? Is it, you know, in terms of the Arizona Cardinals defense, is it this defense is that good or are the Cowboys that bad? And at this point, you really have to look at this offense. You have to look at that team and say, gosh, it's got to be more about the Cowboys being that bad. Oh yeah, I mean thirty-eight to ten. I mean that's a it's embarrassing, <clears throat> and again it's a, a byproduct of uh, trying to change something that didn't need to be changed in a lot of ways. And I'm not talking about the head coach. I'm talking about Mike Nolan. 
because Mike Nolan comes in and wants a hybrid type of 3-4-4-3 scheme. And so he comes in and makes all these changes. The communication's bad. You can see that they're terrible with the defensive tackle position. I mean, it is an absolute mess. It certainly is. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And and I think that that is going to be the Achilles heel for Mike McCarthy and in in this group. And so you, you really have to wonder if they continue to play this bad of football, uh, A, how long Mike Nolan is going to have a job, and B, how long is Mike McCarthy going to you know, be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? I think that's a serious, legitimate conversation you need to start having uh, at this point of the season. I know they still have a chance to win their division, which is absolutely absurd, but I mean, when you talk about the product that you're putting out there on the field, it is definitely lesser uh, than what you had over the last couple seasons. Yeah, because again, what you're talking about is a team that you know underachieved last year, but should have been a playoff team, and a team that started the season with about 15 or 16 players who have been to the Pro Bowl. Absolutely. And so, just like with Dan Quinn, when you look at their roster, there's no excuses. You can't, you can't go to people and say, ah, we're still developing, we need to add to this roster. You've got all the talent that you need to be able to win football games. And it's the same thing with the Cowboys. They've got the talent. Uh, they may not be as good as they once were defensively uh, across the board, but they are. They don't have this bad of a group. Uh, I, you look across the NFL, there are units that absolutely match their record. You know, you look at the New York Jets, that's a group that matches their record from top to bottom. But the Dallas Cowboys, they do not match the record that they have from their talent on their roster, and, and I think that that's got to be the most frustrating part if you're a Cowboys fan. Hey, so what do you have on the show today? Uh, we're going to really take a deep dive into the next five weeks of the season for the Seattle Seahawks and how important these next five weeks are uh, and really what this could, uh, the next five weeks, what it could shape up for the Seahawks and put them in a position to really have a commanding lead in the division in the NFC race for the number one seed and also for Russell Wilson's MVP conversation. Okay, well, that sounds good. So we'll be listening at 12 o'clock. And uh, Jake Heaps, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, John. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And, of course, the big news today is that Tua... Tua Tagovailoa is now going to be the quarterbacking for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, made the decision during the bye week. They're going to give him the chance to get out there on the field and try to do the best he can. And uh, they're going to bye week, so he comes back next week. Dolphins, you know, three and three, and of course, byproduct of the win over uh, you know some easy teams. Although San Francisco wasn't an easy team, that was just a real good victory. Uh, so to the bench goes Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he he took it pretty well. I know at different times when he lost his job. In some places, he wasn't too happy about it. In this case, they were. And so uh, you can see that uh, now it's to his time. Now, the question is, how is he going to adapt? Because all I know from uh, you know getting prepared for the Dolphin game a couple weeks ago, most people felt <clears throat> he didn't do as well as you would think in the uh, at least in uh, training camp. Uh, didn't really wow anybody, and now it's a matter of it's like, okay, they want to see how he can do and where he stands. And so kind of interesting to see that uh, this was the time they were going to do it, but I think part of the reason was they were going to hold back to maybe week 12 to give him the chance, and they weren't going to rush him, but I think what they wanted to do is during a bye week give him a time. But, of course, now with the COVID protocol and everything and the change of schedule, they moved the bye week now to uh, now, which is week 7, and so he has that extra time to try 
try to you know get his mind right and get ready. And so I don't know, uh, Curtis, what do you expect from Tua on the Miami Dolphin team that really isn't too talented? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how they go about it with Tua when he starts their next game because you usually kind of, especially a quarterback as untested as him, it's a team that would have maybe a good running game that he can hand off to a lot. But Miami's running back situation, I mean, it's it's Miles Gaskin pretty much right now, which a lot of people here in this area know how good Miles Gaskin can be. But uh, as an every down back, especially at, at his size, you kind of wonder what Miami is going to be capable of doing offensively, but they're a game out of first place right now in the AFC East. They have the they have one of the higher point differentials in the entire conference, actually. They're plus 47 right now, due in large part to their blowout win over the 49ers and also their blowout win over the Jets last week. Uh, but I look at this Dolphins team, John, and you kind of wonder if they are going to sneak up on teams. Maybe Tua is able to take this offense to a whole nother level, but I don't know, John. He's only thrown two passes, and like you mentioned, he it took him a little bit longer than they had anticipated during training camp to, to really get a grasp of things. But uh, the Dolphins are, are definitely an intriguing team right now, which is a far cry from where they were about a year and a half ago when it was just so dreadfully bad mm, over there horrible. in South Beach, and, and now it looks like there's some form of hope for that team. Yeah, they're, they're making definite progress. I don't think there's any question about that, and you can see that Brian Flores has done a real good job, and it was interesting because everybody thought it was going to be the tank for Tua, and of course uh, you know Flores started to get this team to play better in November, maybe late October and November, and you know they ended up having the sixth pick as opposed to the first pick, and still having the uh, opportunity, I mean the third pick as, as opposed to the first pick, and had the opportunity opportunity to not have to worry about number one and two to take him that high so that worked out real well for them and now we'll see now again what i think is going to be the adjustment is that you know he's a left-hander and so now how's that going to adjust on the offensive line uh i guess in some ways they did they did take a left tackle in the first round but he's on injured reserve right now austin jackson and so now that's going to put more pressure on the right tackle and i know the right tackle what Jesse Davis is like the the one weakness that they have. He's the weakest guy. He's like the only uh, starter back from last year, and he's probably their weakest link. And so, uh, you know, that that could be a real challenge to see how that's going to go. Some other quarterback news in the state of Florida. That'd be Jacksonville. Doug Marone, the head coach for the Jags, uh, he mentioned that he wouldn't rule out uh, benching Gardner Minshew if his struggles continue. Obviously, they got blown out on Sunday, losing to the Lions 34-16. Marone said, mate. Uh, when asked about if he needed to take any steps at that situation, Marone said, quote, maybe in the future, I think. I mean, I'd be naive not to say that's a possibility. That's up for any position, any play that we can do for ourselves to get better. Uh, not exactly a vote of confidence for Gardner Minshew right now. Uh, how do you think Jim Moore's handling this? Ah, uh, terrible. <clears throat> I mean, it was funny. I slid one in, and he really didn't uh, dwell on it or <clears throat> say much because you know my position was <clears throat> that you know Gardner Minshew was going to do well and uh, but he was he wasn't going to win because even you go back to last year with the success that he had and he did have success and he does look like he can be a good quarterback. You know, they, uh, they only had one win against a uh, team with a winning record, just one. 
with uh, Gardner Minshew at quarterback. And now you can see this year uh, the team is so bad, so bad on defense, so bad overall <clears throat> that they can't get anything done. And, you know, they set an NFL record by being the first team in NFL history to lose three consecutive games to winless teams. They're non-competitive. It's bad. And I guess now if Minshew has a couple bad games, I don't know which direction they're going to go as far as, you know, because they don't have much at quarterback anyways. But, uh, you know, this looks really bad. I feel bad for Gardner Minshew. Yeah, who even is Jacksonville's backup? Is it uh, is it a known commodity? Not or, really, no. It's, uh, oh, wait, wait it's uh, old big uh, Mike Glennon. He's oh, got, Mike Glennon, okay, yeah. Yeah, boy, that's, boy a, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll make Jacksonville a lot better. That's, that's a move you make if you really want Oof. Trevor Lawrence in the mm-hmm, future, mm-hmm. is putting Mike Glennon as your starting quarterback. Uh, that's if you you want the long-haired Trevor Lawrence. And then finally, John, uh, a trade rumor, I guess, or a trade request in the NFL involving somebody that is known to people around here. That'd be former Husky receiver, former first-round pick John Ross uh, in the Cincinnati Bengals. His agent, Brad Sakala, went to team officials uh, to request a trade. That's according to Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network. Uh, what could they get for John Ross, and which teams do you think would be? Mm, I'm thinking interest? right now you're talking maybe fifth or sixth round pick, and you know he's unfortunately not lived up to any of that first round hype that it was there for him. You know he came in was a little injured has had injuries a lot, and then really has just been phased out of their offense. I mean, though he had he started uh, training camp this year, or started the regular season, he was banged up, <clears throat> but he's not now. He's healthy now, and he's pretty much just inactive. They don't even want to put him on the field. So I think, uh, you know, you're talking maybe a sixth or seventh round pick, which, of course, what a drop-off. And that's one of the reasons why the Bengals are in the position they're in. You know, here they were a couple years ago with Andy Dalton. They were five straight years to the playoffs, and then, you know, in one year they let Muhammad. Sanu and Marvin Jones go at the wide receiver position, and then the next year they let uh, you know their two best offensive linemen, Kevin Zeitler and Andrew Whitworth, go. <clears throat> their offensive line got terrible. The receiving core got terrible. All the th- things went downhill for Andy Dalton, and you know they really haven't drafted well except for the selection of Joe Burrow. So uh, yeah, that's going to be good. So I know John Ross definitely wants to get out. I'm sure uh, his agents probably calling Seattle to see if they can get anything done, but I tend to doubt that you'd see anything happen there yeah seattle's pretty much taken care of at the wide receiver spot and who knows with josh gordon if he comes back uh i don't think seattle's in any desperate need for a wide receiver no doubt about it and of course coming up next we're going to go to four downs with sean salisbury john clayton show 710 espn seattle